Hello, and welcome to Making Christ Known, a podcast from Adairsville Baptist Church in Adairsville, Georgia. This podcast features senior pastor Eric Sorrell and his sermons designed to make Christ known in Adairsville and beyond. For more information about Adairsville Baptist Church, visit us on Facebook or online at adairsvillebaptistchurch.org. And now, here's Pastor Eric. Genesis chapter 3. We're using the Black Pew Bible. It's on page number 2. If you need an ESV Bible, one that's more readable and understandable, take that. It only costs about $9. We'd love to give that away as a free gift. That would be our gift to you today. But before we get to Genesis chapter 3, let me just summarize Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We see creation. Everything was perfect. There are ten times, ten times in chapter one where it says God said, God said, God said, God said. Ten times. It all started in the beginning with God saying, and God said. Right? Let there be light. And God said, let us make man in our own image. And God said ten times. It says seven times that God saw. God saw. God observed. About seven times it says, and it was good. And God saw that it was good. Actually, in chapter 1, it says six times that God said, God saw, and God said, it was good. God saw, he observed, and he said, this is good. And in the seventh time, he said, it's very good. It's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. Seventh time, it's very good. We see in Genesis 1.27 that it says, so God created man. In his own image, Imago Dei, in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And he blessed them. So God said, and it came into being. God saw, and he set the decree, and he said, this is good, this is very good. He said, and I'm going to make man in the image of God, unique, and set apart different from everything else in creation. And then we get to man being in the garden. So kind of take your Bible and just look back and let's get the context. We always remember that context is king to understanding the text. And so before we get to our key verse, chapter 3, verse 1, let's go back to chapter 2, verse 15. The Lord God took man and he put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. 
And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, listen to the command, he says it. You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, when you eat of it, you shall surely die. It's just this one prohibition. Then the Lord God said, it's not good that the man should be alone. Do you see that? Mankind was never meant to be alone or isolated. He says, I will make a helper fit for him. So a woman is made and that's good. So out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and to all the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, this is what he wants us to see. There was not found a helper fit for him. He's still alone. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man while he slept. He took one of his ribs and he closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. Because she was taken out of man, therefore, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh, ehad flesh. He goes from being alone to having a helper, too, and then the two become one. Much like God, but they become one, united in marriage, united as one flesh. And, verse 25 says, and the man and his wife were both naked and they were not ashamed. No shame. Alone to one flesh to living with no shame. Continue chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field. Shrewd. Um, Bible says, He's more crafty, more cunning, more shrewd than any other beast that the, of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it. Maybe she's misquoting or adding some words there. Lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God. Doesn't that sound great? Knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, lust of the flesh, and that it was a delight to the eyes, lust of the eyes, and that the tree was desired to make one wise, pride of life, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. And then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked. Shame. And they sewed fig leaves together and they made loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves. First game of hide and seek. They hid themselves out of shame from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and he said, where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you you were naked? 
Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, uh, the woman whom you gave to be with me. Sounds like a double blame there. She gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. And then you go on to see the fall of man. What's called, right, the, the fall of humanity. And you see all of the curses and all of the results of, of sin. Corruption. Sin ruins everything. I want us to see in chapter 3, verse 1, this ancient question that's still very much alive and well today. Did God really say? Humans love that question because that question appeals to our pride. It puts us in control. So this morning, there on your handout or in your notebook or just in your head, I want you to notice four main points as we look at a sermon called, Did God Really Say? Four main points. Point number one, I want us to notice Satan's strategy. What is Satan's strategy? What has been Satan's strategy from the beginning? Verse one, he said to the woman, did God actually say, did God actually mean did God actually command this in your life? You look at verse 4, he says, you won't surely die. I want you to notice two things. Letter A, that Satan questions and attacks God's authority. He questions and attacks God's authority. This is Satan's strategy from the beginning. Did God really say, I'm going to question God's authority here. He's going to attack God's authority. Did God really know what's best for you? Did God really mean this? I mean, you're not surely going to die. And of course this appeals to our pride. We don't like people telling us what to do. So Satan from the beginning attacks God's authority. He questions God's authority. Letter B, Satan questions and attacks your authority as a Christian. Because now we live on this side of the cross. Now in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit within you. You have an authority as a believer to resist the devil, as the Bible says, and he will flee from you. You have authority based on the Scripture to be able to know the Scripture and to, and to quote the Scripture. And Satan comes and goes, did God really say, I mean, is God really in charge? Does God really get to make the rules in 2024? Is that still relevant? Is that still applicable? I mean, does God really have the authority to tell you what to do? And then he questions her, do you really have the authority to resist temptation? Do you really have the authority to stand on the word of God and to quote God's word? Do you have authority to, to resist me? No, no. So Satan's strategy is to cast a seed of doubt. I want you to notice Satan's questions versus God's questions. Because God asks a lot of questions here. We see it in verse 1, Satan's question. Did God actually say, you shall not eat of the tree of the garden. Notice his question. But notice God's questions. The first question that God asks after this is found in verse 8. He doesn't even come with an accusation. He comes with a question. He says, well, excuse me, in verse 9. When he heard him in the sound of the garden, right? And Adam goes and hides. Verse 9, the Lord God called to the man. And he said to him, where are you? Where are you? I think there's a lot in those two questions. 
Satan's strategy is always to do this. Did God really say and to cast doubt and to question authority? And God's question is always this. Hey, where are you? I'm seeking you. I want a relationship with you. I know where you are, but, but I'm asking for you to, so you will know where are you. I, I want a relationship with you. If you jumped down even into verse uh, 11, there's more questions. Who told you that you were naked? He wants Adam to confess. Who, who told you that? How, how does this change? Have you eaten? Another question. Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? He knew. He, he, he asks questions, and I think these questions are still gracious, and they're, they're leading questions that are, that are leading Adam into that relationship and even into confession and, and into re- repentance. Satan's strategy still today is going to be to cast doubt. Did God really say this for your life? And God's still saying, will you listen to me? Where are you? I'm, I'm seeking you. Have you done this? Will you confess? Can you, will, you, will you come to me? Will you draw near to me? Henry Law was a, a preacher in England in 1869. He mentioned these three D's. A doubt is first insinuated. Has God said... Is it truly so? There may be some mistake. A spark to kindle discontent next falls. You shall not eat of every tree. Is this consistent with unbounded kindness? Why this arbitrary limit? A bold denial of danger follows. You shall not surely die. It is a futile threat. A promise of abundant gain crowns the Lord. Your eyes shall be opened. The skill is perfect. Do you see what that old enemy is doing in his very first words, in his very first question? So we notice point number one, Satan's strategy. But I want us to look at point number two this morning in depth, and I want us to look at God's sayings. What are some of God's sayings? Did God really say And then the question, the answer to the question is, well, yes or no. Either he did or he didn't. Did God really say yes? Did God really say no? So I want us to look at at letter A here, things that God said. Things God said. Did God really say yes? Yes. If you were to open your old King James Version... The King James Bible lists over 400 times, Thus saith the Lord. Thus saith the Lord. If you were to open that King James Bible into the Gospels, just the very Gospels alone, 75 times, Jesus is going to say, Verily I say unto you. Truthfully, literally in the Greek, Amen, I say unto you. God has spoken. Amen. Thus saith the Lord. Verily, truly, I say unto you. Unto you, But today Satan still wants to cast doubt. Satan still wants to question God's word and God's authority. Did God really say things God said? I'll give you a bunch of these. They're not on your handout, but you can just listen or write a few of these down. Did God really say there is one way of salvation? Yes. God has said there is one way to be saved. John 14, 6 Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Acts 4.12, 
And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. The Apostle Paul writes that there is one mediator between God and man. Christ Jesus. Satan comes and says, does God really say that there's one way to be saved? That's really narrow-minded, you guys. Did God really say that Christianity is exclusive and there's only one way to be saved? Yes, thus saith the Lord, there is one way. There's only one way to be saved. Did God really say that hell is real? Isn't that, you know, archaic? Did God really say hell is real? Yes, God has said hell is real. Matthew 25, 41. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire, everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Revelation 20, 15 talks about even as hell, as Gehenna is thrown into the lake of fire, Hades is thrown into the lake of fire. Revelation 20, 15. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. God really said hell is real? Yes. Yes, we have His Word. Hell is real. Things God said. Abortion is wrong. God really say abortion is wrong? Yes. Yes, He did. Psalm 139, 13 through 16. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. There in the womb. Exodus 20, 13, you shall not murder. There are other commandments about not casting your children into the fire. Has God really said abortion is, is sin? Yes. Yes, his, his word has made it clear. Has God really said divorce is wrong? Yes. Yes, he has. It might not be popular preaching, but yes, he said it. Matthew 5.32 But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, or we could say husband, except on the ground of sexual immorality, there are some outs, normally uh, adultery, abuse, maybe abandonment. But I say to you, Matthew 5.32, if anyone divorces his wife except on the ground of sexual immorality, he makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries the divorced woman commits adultery. See, this is what the enemy wants to do, right? To creep in even to us. And be, Did God really say these things about salvation and hell and, and abortion and divorce? Did God really say that about fornication? Yes, He did. Right? Go back to a couple of weeks ago when we preached on holy and biblical sexuality, right? Sex outside of marriage, fornication, right? Is it sinful? Yes. Has God said it? Yes. Read His Word. Know His, His Word. Has God really said that lust is wrong and sin? Yes. Right? Out of the heart comes sexual immorality. If anyone would look at a woman lustfully, he's already committed adultery in his heart. Has God really said these things? Yes. But the enemy will say, did God really say that? Did God really say homosexuality is wrong? Yes. Things God has said. Leviticus 18.22 You shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. Listen to this great passage from 1 Corinthians 6. Not just homosexuality. Listen to all the other sins there. Has God really said, listen, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, 
right? Pornea, the fornicators. Nor idolaters. It's, that's an equal sin. Nor adulterers. Nor men who practice homosexuality. Nor thieves. Don't think too highly of yourself, church in America. Nor the greedy. That kind of gets all of us. Nor drunkards. Nor revelers. Nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. But he's writing to the church and he says, And such were, past tense, some of you, but you were washed. Amen. You were sanctified, he says. You were justified, declared righteous in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Has God really said things about sin? Yes. Right? Has God said things about salvation and forgiveness? Yes. Praise God, he has. He said things about justification. The old enemy comes and says, Did God really say that greed is wrong? Is greed really that bad of a sin? Or is that just one of those you know, sins that we've brushed up and made a little bit nicer? No. Jesus said greed is wrong. Luke 12, 15. And he said to them, Take care, be on your guard against all covetousness to desire something else that somebody has that you don't have to desire possessions, to desire money. Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Has God really said things about greed? Yes. And He's also said things about generosity. Has God really said to give generously? Yes. God has commanded Christians to give generously. 1 Timothy 6, 17-19, As for the rich in this present age, that's you and me, compared to the world, Charge them not to be haughty, boastful, prideful, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches and the economy, but on God. Set your hope on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good. They're to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. I mean, has Jesus really said that we need to tithe? I mean, yes, tithe, but yes, give more. Give generously. Give sacrificially. Some of us believe in grace giving, which goes above and beyond. And if God's been gracious to you, you, you be generous in giving. Listen to what Luke, uh, Jesus said in the Gospel of Luke. I mean, has God really said this? Yes. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old. With a treasure in the heavens that does not fail. Where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. As God really said, I believe He comes to Christians today and He wants to cast doubt. He knows it will make them weaker. He says, as God really said to go to church, I mean, you can be a Christian and be at home, can't you? Has God really said that church is important? I mean, let me give you just one verse. There are many verses for all of these. Hebrews 10, 25. Yes, God has said this. Do not neglect to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. Has God really said that church is important? Yes, He has. He has. We love to hear, did God, yeah, yeah, I, you know, th this sin's not so bad, and this thing that I'm doing, and 
And the, the way I use my possessions and money or the way I spend my time, you know, Sundays or Wednesdays or small groups, or, I don't, did God really say, did God really mean that I'm supposed to, you know his word. What about this one? Did God really say that we must forgive? Yes. He said strong words about forgive and you'll be forgiven. Luke 17, 3 and 4. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. If he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, right? I'm sorry, forgive him. You must, you must forgive him. God really say you need to forgive that? Surely God didn't mean forgive that person, that sin. Yes, God said it. Not popular. Did God really say that male leadership is ideal? Yes. God said male leadership in the church and in the home is ideal. It's headship. It was from the beginning. 1 Timothy 2, 11-14 Let a, worm, a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I don't permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. It's submissive in that culture. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. And Romans tells us that sin entered in the world through one man, Adam, right? And then death to all men, right? So it's not like he's just blaming Eve here. Adam's to blame also. But here we get this idea of male leadership being the ideal in the church and in the home. Did God really say that it should really be a male pastor? And shouldn't we allow in 2024 a female pastor to get up here and preach? Has God really said? I mean, are you, you guys are just too conservative, aren't you? Has God really said? So this is our authority. And I would say, yes, there are things that God has said. Here's another great one if you're feeling naked and ashamed like you're in the garden. God has really said that you can be forgiven of any of these sins. You can be forgiven of any sin that you want to be forgiven of. You can be forgiven today. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just. And He will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. The enemy wants to go, did God really say that you can be forgiven from divorce and adultery and that homosexuality? Could you really be used? You can't be used by God. Did God really say that he would save you? Yes. Anybody can have free pardon and free mercy and free grace. You can be saved today. You can be forgiven. Stand on the promise of 1 John 1.9. So don't you see that Satan's strategy is still alive today? to question the things that God has said. And we have to go back and we have to hold to this and say, yes, God has said. I mean, we could pick a whole lot more topics, right? I'm just trying to give a, a sample of some. Culture, our modern society, continues to question and doubt what God has said. And culture also does this. Culture is really good at making things up that God never said. So we're looking at God's sayings Things God said. Did God really say? Yes. Well, now let's go to the latter part, the other side of the coin, and say, did God really say? And let's look at some no's. Things God did not say. Things God did not say. Did God really say? No. Did you see Shane Pruitt at your conference? Some of you might have seen Shane Pruitt at one of the conferences you did. He wrote a book called Nine Common Lies. I just discovered this. Nine Common Lies That Christians Believe. 
Jared Wilson writes another book. He's got like eight lies, and his book is titled this, kind of, whoa, The Gospel According to Satan. Oh, gosh, who wants to read that? But, you know, he's a Christian guy. He's, he's uh, one of our Southern Baptist professors, but he's like eight lies that are from the enemy. What did God not say that culture wants to credit God with? So I've just come up with a summary. I'm not going to steal their nine or their eight. I'll just give you a few that I've kind of summarized in, a, in some different headings. Saying the first one here, uh, God won't give me more than I can handle. Ever heard that? Did God really say God won't give you more than you can handle? No. God has not said that. Right? God might give you more than you can handle. You might suffer. You might die as a martyr like most of the disciples, right? But our cultural lie is God wants me healthy and wealthy, that prosperity gospel. Has God given a prosperity gospel? Did God really say prosperity gospel? No, he has not said that, right? God has not said that he will not give you more than you can handle. Things God has not said, God has never said, I got another angel. God got another angel. Did God say that? No. Do Christians become angels when they die? No. That number is set. We don't become angels. When somebody died, God didn't get another angel. They didn't turn into an angel. They went to be with Jesus. But God has never said that he's getting more angels and that we're becoming angels. No, God, search the word. Search it. You will not find it there. He got his wings. No, no. And I don't want wings. I want to be a saint. I don't want to be an angel. God has never said that. Another lie. God wants you to be happy. Has God said God wants you to be happy? God has not said that. Follow your heart. Did God say follow your heart? God just wants you to follow your heart. No. Jeremiah 17, 9, God said the heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. Who can understand it? Did God say believe in yourself? No. God's not said believe in yourself. He said believe in me. Right? Believe in the Lord Jesus. It's this lie. God won't give me more than I can handle. I know. I don't think God's told you that. God got another angel. I don't think God said that. God just wants me to be happy and follow my heart. No, not really. He's not really concerned about your happiness. He's concerned about His glory. Another thing God has not said, let go and let God. Let go and let God. That's nowhere in there. What does that mean? Just you just Or on the flip side of that, it's God helps those who help themselves. Has God said that? No. One means let go and let God just stop trying. God say that? No. Sometimes he wants you to, to push. Did God say uh, God helps those who help themselves? No, he didn't, he didn't say that. Where you got to work, either don't work or, or work more. God hasn't said those things. But if you ask a lot of people on the street, they might say, yeah, God said that. Let go and let God. That's in the Bible somewhere, isn't it? No. Has God said? No. No. What about this one? God doesn't want us to suffer. Has God said that? No. God said in this life you will suffer for being a Christian. God doesn't want you to suffer. The enemy said, God wants you to be happy. God wants you to believe in yourself and follow your heart. And God's not going to judge you. Lies, right? God's not saying those things. But the enemy will, you won't surely die. Verse 4. Chapter 3, verse 4. You won't surely die. God knows that you'll be like him. 
You'll know good and evil. God doesn't want us to suffer. Don't believe that lie. What about this? Uh, Has God said, as long as you're sincere and you just live a good life, you'll make it to heaven? God said that? No. No, it's not about sincerity. It's about truth. It's about that one way. As long as they're sincere, there are many paths to God. If you just live a good life, I, oh Lordy, come knock on some doors with us. Right, outreach team? Uh, You'll hear a lot of this. I'm a good person and I just believe if you're good that you'll make it to heaven. Show me, has God said that? Show me where. I I cannot find it. Right? God hasn't said that. It's not about sincerity. You you can be sincerely wrong. (laughs) You will not go to heaven. God has said there is one way to be saved. So do you see that it deals with this authority issue? It, it, it deals with who gets the say in the life. And it also deals with our culture being just like Satan and questioning what has God said, making up stuff that God hasn't said, right? And us saying, okay, now we have to discern what it, is the preacher, is that truth? Is the preacher saying the things of God? Or maybe, maybe he's saying some things that God never said, right? I mean, sometimes we say things that God didn't say. Sometimes like I, I like to be like, thus saith the Lord here. And then sometimes I like to be, thus saith Eric over here. And this may or may not be. This is like Eric's opinion, right? But, uh, right, we need to test everybody. Is, did God say yes or no? Number one, Satan's strategy. Number two, God's sayings. They're on your handout. Number three, our errors. What are our errors? Point number three, let's notice our errors, our mistakes uh, in this. Let me give you three here. What are our errors? Number one is this, not reading what God has said. Not knowing what God has said. That's an error. The culture's going to say, did God really say? And we're going, I don't know. Never read it. I don't know what he said. I don't know his sayings. Read. Not reading what God has said is an error. Ignorance is not a good excuse, is it? But God, I'm ignorant. Especially in America when we have the Bible everywhere. It's more available here than ever, more neglected than ever, right? But we can't plead ignorance. Oh, God, I just didn't know. Why not? You had freedom. Others didn't. You had the Bible. Others didn't. You had time. Others didn't, right? We have to know. But the error is not knowing what he said, not reading what he has said. Number two is this, misreading. Misreading what he has said. This is misinterpreting. This is misunderstanding. This is what the cults do. Did God really say that Jesus is not God, that he's just God's first created being and that there's no trinity? Jehovah Witness would claim these things, right? Did God really say these things, right? Did God really say that just as God is, you'll become like God? You'll be God like the Mormon church, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints says? How do they come up with these things? Misreading. So number one error is not reading. The second error is misreading. You take what God has said and then you twist it. You take the, the verse and then you twist it out of context. You twist it to say something that, it, that it's not saying. Misinterpreting, misunderstanding. Let me give you this one. And I think this one is key. Look, 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 look right here. Everybody look right here. Claiming new revelation. God told me. Error. Dangerous. 
And we, we, we say it often. God told me, whoa, 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 has God really said that? Or was that just something you ate in your desire? Did God really tell you? Maybe we say, well, I, I feel led based on my prayer and study this, but to say God told me? Woo, it's a bold claim, isn't it? Be careful, look. Be careful that by attaching His name to your plans that you don't take His name in vain. Breaking a commandment. How do we take the Lord's name in vain? Not just by saying the name in vain, but by taking the name of God and attaching it to something that He never said and claiming it. That's taking His name and, and, and using it in vain. God told me this. You claim new revelation, and the cults do that too. But if we're not careful, sometimes preachers and church members will too. Whoa, whoa, did God really say to build that building? God told you to build? You know, and then like, you, God really told you to lead the church into that much debt? I'm not going to stand up here and tell you that God told me to have some building campaign and some kind of fundraising campaign. I'll never do it. Now, I might say that we as a church have prayed about it, and, and we, through our prayers and our understanding, we feel led by the Spirit, maybe so, maybe not, but, but to say, thus saith the Lord? This is, right, you can't claim new revelation, you can't misinterpret what He said, and, and you also, you got to know what He said. So these are all errors. Fourth point, His strategy, still alive today, youth, college people, did God really say? Is the Bible really true? Right? Then we got to know what did God say and what did God not say, because they'll, oh, they'll make up some stuff about this and that and Jesus and we notice our errors we, we understand when we don't know the word when we misinterpret the word when we claim a new word number four what's the solution what's the solution the big solution is this know what God said know what God said know the book know the Bible know the scripture it's why this is important, but it's also why Sunday school is important. It's why Wednesday nights is important. It's why Sunday school for our children is important. And, and a Wednesday night for our children is important. They're not going to get everything they need just on a Sunday morning, right? It's why in the home it's important, right? It's why every day for you to be taking in a little bit of the Bible, read through the New Testament in a year, know what he said. Know it. Know the book. Know the Bible. Know what he said. Did God mean what he said? Did God mean this? Yes, it is reliable. Did God mean what He said? Yes, it's trustworthy. Settle that. Settle that this is reliable. This Wednesday night, we're going to start a new video series. It's one we've done years back, but so many of you have not seen it. And it's called this, How Did We Get the Bible? It's going to be good. It's taught by a professor. It's really creative. He's funny and he uses some, some videos. And it's about 30 minutes and we'll talk about it. But it, it goes back to this, this book is reliable. It is trustworthy. We'll talk about how we got the Old Testament, how we got the New Testament, how this is inspired, right? Know this, read this, but understand that this is no ordinary book. The manuscripts, the amount of manuscripts that we have to prove this is true, he'll take us through it, right? He'll show you from, from history and from archaeology and this, this is completely reliable. Did God mean this? Yes. We have it. It's, it's preserved for us. Wednesday nights, 6.30. Know the book. Know the Bible. Here's the next solution. Number two, make everything pass the Scripture test. Make everything pass the Scripture test. 
Here's the scripture test. You, you examine everything with the Bible. It becomes the lens, right? It becomes the x-ray machine. You make everything pass through the scriptures, right? Everything. Examine it. And so here's how you do it. When somebody says, God said, you go, hey, can you show me chapter and verse? That's the scripture test. Show me chapter and verse. The cults come to your door and start quoting all this. And, start, and it sounds close. And then you go, can you show me chapter and verse? Watch them backpedal. Watch them backpedal. Or, or what they've conveniently done too, especially Jehovah's Witness, they have a whole new translation. So they're, well, your translation's no good. So we need to use my translation. Well, of course, and it's, it's not a good translation, right? So make it past the scripture test, even for yourself. Did God really say, well, I think God said let go and let God. Let me try to, look, there's this great thing called a concordance. You know what a concordance is? A concordance, and now we have them online. I, I got this big one that's like that thick on my office. We used to have to go to the concordance. And the concordance, you can look up any word. You say, uh, I want to look up um, let go. See where that occurs in the Bible. So you look in the concordance, let go, and it tells you every place in the Bible that it's there. Go online to a Bible concordance. If you, you know like part of the verse, and you're saying, okay, um, helps those who help themselves. These are not verses, right? So you type that in the concordance and it'll pull it up, right? It'll show you, but it's going to show you eventually that it's not there. You're making everything past the scripture test. I want to see the chapter and the verse. You tell me that homosexuality is not a sin or that that divorce is okay. Can you show me chapter and verse from the scripture why it is or why it's not, right? We, we prove everything by this book, right? God told me, can you show me chapter and verse as God said that? Is, let's, let's examine that. And where there's room for interpretation, then, then we can have a, a healthy discussion, right? Know the book, know what it said, and then show it, prove it. Make it pass the exam of Scripture with the Bible. Jerome, who was an early church father around the year 400 A.D., said, ignorance of Scripture is ignorance of Christ. You don't know Scripture. If you're ignorant of Scripture, then you're ignorant about Christ. You may not know enough about Christ. Will you accept the sayings of Jesus? Jesus has spoken. I just want to end by letting you listen to two passages that Jesus said. The first one is in John chapter 5. I just want to read verses 46 and 47. You don't have to turn there. You can just listen. John 5, 46 and 47. He was writing to the religious leaders of the day who took issue with him. And he said this to them, If you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you don't believe his writings, how will you believe my words? He was saying, if you don't believe the Old Testament, how are you going to believe the New Testament? If you didn't believe Moses, whom you highly look up to in his writings, and you don't even put those into practice, and you don't even follow God's sayings of old, how are you going to follow my sayings? How, how are you going to believe my words and to believe that, that I'm the Messiah? How are you going to accept the sayings of Jesus, right? How, how are you going to accept Christ? John 8, John 8, 42 47. Again, you don't have to turn. You can just listen. John 8, 42 to, to 47. Jesus was again speaking to that same group, that same crowd. And Jesus said to them, If God were your Father, you would love me. 
For I came from God and I'm here. I came not of my own accord, but He sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning. You remember his strategy. And has nothing to do with the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you don't believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? I tell the truth. Why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you don't hear them is that you're not of God. He would say ignorance of the Scriptures is ignorance of Christ. You're not listening to the old. You're not listening to me. You're not listening to the new. But if you are of God, you, you hear the Word of God and you take that Word of God to heart. You believe in Jesus. So today as we close, I invite you to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. Yes, you can be forgiven. Don't believe the enemy's lie that you can't, that you're, you're beyond saving or beyond forgiving. You're too dirty. No, no, no. No, no, no. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Making Christ Known. We invite you to join us again next time for another sermon from Adairsville Baptist Church. For more information, visit us on Facebook or online at adairsvillebaptistchurch.org. Thanks for listening, and we look forward to connecting with you again soon.